This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Wednesday, October the 11th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown. Coming to you on AMI-tv, I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, the CRTC plans to vision Elections Canada wants to design a new app to make voting more accessible to Canadians with disabilities. Elizabeth Moeller, Marco Pasqua, and I will all react to the idea. And Marissa Papakonstantinou will be competing in next year's Paralympics. Alex Smythe shares his interview with her. But the show begins with the top story of the day, and it's news that actually matters to you. Federal Health Minister Mark Holland is meeting with his provincial counterparts in Charlottetown PEI today. John Kennedy sets the table. Holland says the meetings will be focused on attracting new workers to the healthcare field and retaining the doctors, nurses, and technicians Canada already has to alleviate the healthcare worker shortage. He says the health ministers need to look at foreign credentials and pan-Canadian licenses as two options. The meeting in Prince Edward Island comes on the heels of British Columbia signing the first bilateral funding agreement with Ottawa as a part of the health accord the Prime Minister offered premiers in February. John Kennedy, the Canadian Press. You just heard Minister Holland talk about that bilateral deal. So Minister Holland talked about that funding deal with British Columbia. The federal government will be transferring an additional $1.2 billion over the next three years to the province. The province will increase patient access to team-based family health care, and the province will also be tracking its progress. Minister Holland says that's at the core of any health funding agreements. But an essential part of this agreement is making sure that we can show progress and not just talk about it. Show it in data and make sure patients feel it and better care and outcomes. Switching over to the economy, Unifor and General Motors have reached a tentative contact contract agreement. The three-year contract includes base hourly wage increases of 20% for production workers and 25% for skilled trades. The deal also offers improvements to pensions and job security. Unifor President Alana Payne reflects on the deal. This is an agreement that is going to change people's lives, particularly folks who were in precarious employment, people who were in a progression grid that normally would have taken eight years to get to the top of, and now they will be there in four years. Uniform members will vote to ratify the deal over the next few days. Switching over to food prices or in this case, uh, food products and prices. The Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers wants a price freeze on milk. Adam Burns takes a closer look. A group representing independent grocers is calling for a pause on any further increases to the price of milk. A federal crown corporation reviews the price farmers are paid for milk every fall and announces the following February whether that price will change. The Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers says the industry is in an exceptional situation this year, with Ottawa pushing grocers to stabilize prices. The federation argues that any increase in milk prices at the beginning of the supply chain would go against that objective. Adam Burns, the Canadian Press. And another story from the economic file, TD Bank is facing a class action lawsuit. Don Kelly explains. 
The suit alleges the bank failed to pay or properly pay its mobile mortgage specialists vacation and or public holiday pay on their commissions, volume bonuses, and other variable payments. It alleges the money was owed but not paid on top of the set commissions and other non-salary compensation. Jason Chang, who worked for TD in Vancouver for nearly 13 years, is the proposed representative plaintiff for the case that's been filed in the Ontario Superior Court of Justice. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press, Toronto. And one more story. Maybe I only find this one alarming, but it's from the food and climate change file. Climate change could affect the future of beer. Derek Dennis pours out this report. A new study in the journal Nature says climate change could soon make beer, the world's most popular alcoholic drink, much more bitter. Researchers say higher temperatures and drought in limited regions where the best hops for beer are grown, mostly in Europe, are altering the quality of the hops, which in turn alter their flavor. Farmers have been able to combat this by mixing hops for the best results, but the process is expensive, tedious, and not sustainable. Researchers noting the link between rising temperatures and reduced beer quality and are sounding the alarm. Oh, no. Derek Dennis. ABC News. Oh dear, sounding the alarm. Oh dear, worried about beer. If that can't get you worried about climate change, what will? Forget natural disasters and rising ocean levels and perpetual crisis and famine and floods. What about the beer? What about the beer? That's your look at the news. Here comes the daily polls at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. On Tuesday, you were asked on World Mental Health Day, what is your preferred method of self-care? 33% of you said sleep. 17% of you said exercise. A lot of you chimed in with creativity. 42% and 8% of you said food, that you eat your feelings. Leona writes in at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, creativity. It can sort of be a combo because I will cook something new and different or finally settle on my next video topic and start building the bits to tell the story. That kind of outlet allowing my imagination to roam is like being young again with everything being possible if I could dream it. That is the coolest feeling and it's good positive. Tony comments, creativity with a twist. I take my hearing aids out for a break and photograph flowers and insects. And on Twitter, Studio Brock chimes in at Accessible Media. I voted creativity, but really when I feel I need some self-care, I book a massage. Oh, heck yeah. I'm privileged enough to have benefits. I do remember and still do sometimes have to save for months to go get one. They've all been worth every penny, though. It's hard not to feel great Afterwards, Oh, I like where Brock's at there. Maybe I join a gym, a fitness club that has the nice gym and the sauna and the steam room and the massage therapist on site. Oh, oh, oh. Living bougie like Studio Brock at Accessible Media on Twitter at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Sean Priest is about to talk about this really in four or five minutes on the show. Monthly subscriptions and the possibility and speculation that Amazon may add a monthly fee to their Echo smart speakers, their Echo devices that are run by that lady whose name we do not say on the air for fear of triggering your devices. So that's just one example from the world of Amazon. But you 
could probably pop into your visa bill or your MasterCard bill and be like, oh my gosh, how many monthly fees are being taken out of here? So I'm asking you, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, are you fed up with monthly subscriptions and subscription services, yes or no? Amanda, I think saying that I'm fully fed up would be a little bit of a stretch because most of my monthly subscriptions have to do with functionality, right? It's entertainment, it's Netflix, it's Amazon Prime, it's a couple sports subscriptions. So I'm not necessarily fed up with it because I find utility in what I'm signing up for. But you can really start to see more and more companies and more and more services saying, you know, you could buy this thing once or we could send you four things every month for a fee and i can really see where that's starting to creep into the world of consumerism yeah i do think as you said there's certain products like entertainment or streaming service that like it makes sense that you wouldn't cancel your sub subscription fee however there are certain things that at some point i'm like time to just you know, let me get the products I need without charging me the extra for the monthly fees. Yeah, the notion of the double paywall, right? That like, let's say, for example, you're you're a Spotify user. I'm a Spotify user. Yep. I really <laughs> like the premium feature on Spotify. I like having access to that music ad free, but I've noticed more and more ads creeping into the podcast and not the podcast hosts reading ads. I'm talking about Spotify flat out inserting ads in the middle of these shows. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that doesn't seem fair. I'm paying $12 a month for no ads. Where are these ads coming from? I know. I feel the same way. Like, I'll listen to a podcast and I'll be at, like, a really good part. And then it'll, like, um, start playing all these ads. And I think it all goes back to the idea of companies needing to make money somehow. If it's not through playing the ads in your music they try to do it in your <laughs> podcast and yes it is frustrating but i will go with spotify like i can't picture myself yeah. going back to the yeah. basic version after all these years <laughs> you know Al Al alex smythe uh there's a distinction here between fed up and annoyed mm -hmm. i think you can be annoyed about something and not necessarily fed up like you are a video game player much like myself and i know in the xbox world you have to pay a yearly subscription just to get access to microsoft's network i'm annoyed by that I'm not fed up by that, right? The difference between annoyed and fed mm -hmm. up is if I was fed up, I would start cutting the cord and saying, nope, I'm not paying for this anymore. I don't need to play my Xbox online. I'm only gonna play offline and that's gonna be just fine by me. But if I'm just annoyed by it, you know, I grit it and I, and I live with it. So like there's a difference, right? Between annoyed and fed up. Absolutely. And for me, how I'm viewing it, it's more of, of the kind of the philosophy of, yeah, I'm, I have all the different services, all the different subscriptions I, I subscribe to currently. If a new product or something new that I wanna get has or requires a monthly subscription, I'm definitely gonna think twice yes. or three times about yes. adding it. So I'm, I'm okay where I'm currently at. I don't wanna bring more uh, subscriptions into my life. Like I, I purposely don't do Spotify Premium just because 
I don't want to add something new in. I don't want to pay for a YouTube premium or YouTube TV. Oh yeah, forget that. I, I'm fine with these like free services that I can still access. Yeah, it's okay. You have to deal with ads, fine, whatever. I'm used to it. it it's on the flip side of, I don't want to add another 10, $15, $20 a month to what I'm already paying with all these other different services. I agree, Dave, you kind of, you, you kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, you're settled with what you have, but you know, if this thing with Amazon Echo, if I had an Echo, I don't, but if I did, you know, I would be seriously considering, do oh. I really want to include that into my life as well? I don't think so. I would be so annoyed, of course, as uh, is the running joke on the show, my Echo devices are still in their boxes on my bookshelf next to my desk. I swear, I'm going to set these up at some point, maybe by the end of 2023, we'll see. But yeah, Alex, I would be so annoyed if something that I had used for years and years and years, a uh, complimentary that still maybe required the annual fee to Prime or the cost of buying the piece of hardware, if all of a sudden a company like Amazon, you know, uber profitable, multi-trillion dollar organization Amazon was like, hey, Dave, guess what? You got to pay for this now. I would be infuriated. Yeah, and I, I think... I don't know about you, Dave, but I myself always go through... Like, it seems like every year or every every, like, six months or so... I'll kind of do a self-evaluation. Yeah, you take like the comb. The you take, you take yeah. the comb through your visa bill. Exactly. And so you start to look at all the things you're paying for, and then you kind of think about it. Well, am I really getting my money's worth out of it? And and sometimes, especially with like streaming services, okay, they go through highs and lows of the quality of the content. You start rating or ranking, you know, which ones you use the most, which ones you, you use the least. And then you start to kind of figure out, do I really need all of them? Like for myself, you know, you mentioned sports. I always just keep it for the football season. That's really what I use it for. And then I put it on a, a like suspension until yeah, the that, season starts up again. That's the zone subscription, D-A-Z-N. Yeah. Like one of the, one of, if you're a football fan in Canada, it is bang for your buck in a big way, but it ain't cheap. Yeah, well, and it used to be even more uh, enticing because it used to carry all the hockey games, and then that kind of went away, and the price increased a bit. So you're kind of you're, you're kind of stuck, like wondering, yeah. is it really worth it? So I, as a result for me, I kind of make it okay. I make the adjustment. I don't have it all year round. I just mm -hmm. have it for when I really want it. Amanda, finishing with you here, coming back, you just heard Alex talk about putting the fine tooth comb through the old credit card bill. Do you engage in that practice once a year or a couple times a year to be like, wait, exactly how many things am I paying for? Definitely. And especially now as, you know, someone who just graduated, I'm just trying to be more conscious of like, do I need this? Or am I like, you know, mm. am I really getting my bucks worth by keeping this on my visa bill? So for sure, it's definitely something that I've trying to work on over the years instead of just tapping my credit card and not looking. Oh, dear. OK. Yeah. OK. Now I'm feeling very seen at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Are you fed up with monthly subscriptions and subscription services? Yes or no at Accessible Media on Twitter at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Feedback at AMI.ca is the email address. Feedback at AMI.ca or pick up the phone. You know, you're paying a monthly fee to use your phone, so use it. Call the show. 1-866-509-4545. 1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break, the monthly subscription model conversation continues. Sean Priest weighs in with his thoughts. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Tech company Envision is facing backlash. The company announced a new payment plan to lease their AI-powered smart glasses for approximately $150 a month. On another note, there are some rumors, speculation, that Amazon might introduce a monthly subscription for its Echo smart speakers. Is this asking too much from consumers? Sean Priest is pondering that question. Sean is the co-host of Double Tap on AMI-audio. Hello, Sean. Hello, Dave. How are you, sir? Sean, I'm pretty good. These two stories are different. They're distinct because one's about hardware and one's about a service. But to your mind, what ties them together? Of course, like you've been talking about already, it is all about that subscription. And whether it is a good thing and when it becomes overwhelming for someone, we're seeing so many subscription services now, these monthly fees, combing your credit card. I'm going to nick that uh, phrase, by the way. Um, <laughs> that is the thing. What is the future for the payment models for services and hardware? Because we've been going with this, you know, pay once and you own it. And for the last few decades, we've been going away from actually owning things. That's almost a thing of the past. You know, DVDs, CDs, everything now is digital and sort of in the ether, in the cloud. You never really own anything physically anymore. Mm. Um, and, and it's all about, okay, there's a reason for that. And that, that's slightly different about physical um, products versus digital products. But when it comes down for the payment and the production of services and hardware, is it truly sustainable to say, okay, I'm going to pay once and I own it? Or to continue development, is a subscription model really essential and necessity? It's an interesting conversation. So, Sean, drill down on the Envision side, because you and I have talked about their smart glasses before, and generally the product has been received well. I'm just going to say received well as, as sort of a generalized statement. Yes. Why the uproar over the leasing model? Because at least in my brain, it suggests, okay, instead of paying $2,000 or $2,500 for this piece of equipment, you're now going to lease this. And over the course of a couple of years, you're eventually going to get to that number. But, but why the uproar? Well, firstly, I think there's a few different aspects to it. And, and firstly, if you go through their subscription model, as they call it, um, uh, sorry, subscription edition, um, you never own it. You, right, yeah, addition, right. It makes all the difference. You never own the hardware ever. You're just renting it for that month. You can cancel it at any time. There's no minimum contract, which is cool. Um, but at the end of, you know, when you've spent that $150 a month and you've hit that $2,000 mark, you don't own them. You, they, they're still, you know, they're still being leased. Yeah. At the end of yeah. The day. Exactly. Um, also, I think the thing is as well, and this is something we see across the industry, particularly in the car industry, actually, it's very interesting. The reason I picked up on me saying edition, subscription edition, because there's the read edition, there's the home edition, and there's a professional edition. Now, all these different price points, these different plans that they offer, all the same hardware running the same software, exactly the same Google Glasses Enterprise 2 uh, hardware. And running Envision software. But the difference is you're unlocking extra features. So for example, the cheapest entry level is the read 
edition and vision glasses. With that, you can just do the real-time OCR. So if you're looking at something, whatever text it sees, it will just read out to you. Mm -hmm. And you can do document OCR. So if you've got a letter in front of you, you can tell it to take a picture, and it'll do a more accurate um, OCR of it. But that's it. Then if you go to the home edition, you get extra things such as, I don't know, color identification or object recognition or the ability to call a friend and they can see what the glasses are seeing, a bit like Ira, for example. And then professional edition, you get extra features again, uh, the, the actual ability to use Ira and things. So it's all software locked. And I think people are slightly uneasy about that. But you, you the software itself is what you're actually paying for. And it's hard to see the value in it. Right. Or at least why should I be locked out? I'm paying a lot of money for that read uh, edition. And yet I'm only getting two features, maybe three features. So, so I'm Sean, locked out. So, so Sean, for, for, forgive me, because I, I, you moved, you didn't move fast there, but I think maybe there was something that could be lost in translation. Because Sorry. you picked, no, no, you picked your words really carefully, but I think it's worth doing a little translation here. When you're talking about these different subscription models within the Envision software, within the Envision service, that's something that's a little bit different than this extra $150 a month for the hardware. So maybe, so is maybe that what you're identifying a little bit here? That if maybe somebody is paying this $150 a month for the hardware, why aren't they just getting the whole kit and caboodle? Well, the, sorry, yes, there is a, a difference here. So the subscription model is the $150 a month. All those others that I mentioned, the other three, Read, Home, and Professional, are just an initial outlay of the price that you mentioned earlier, somewhere between, um, I don't know, was it $2,000 and $3,000 US, I think. Okay, So those, okay. those are, you need to pay for them, and it's done. You don't pay any monthly fee. Uh, with the subscription model, there's no initial outlay. It's just $150. So there has been a big backlash, and I think mainly that was because of the uh, the sticker shock more than anything, because $150 a month sounds like a lot of money, and it is a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Ira had, this, Ira had the same problem when they uh, introduced their new pricing. People were sort of, wow, that's a lot of money to spend. Now, obviously, the value of something is completely up to the individual but going off off what's going on online then there's been a huge backlash but i'm not saying it's a bad thing necessarily if it gives someone there's no way that i could ever afford to buy the envision glasses myself on a personal basis and i think there's a lot of people out there in the same situation now if i could try these out for 150 dollars a month and see hey you know what these are life-changing to me then maybe that's that's something that lots of people wouldn't be able to trial for themselves anyway or be yeah. able to get on board with that. Yeah. So there's a the conversation is that hey, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Of course, lots of people can't afford specialized tech as it is with their current prices. It's it, you make a really interesting use case argument there, right? That says for $150 for a couple of months, I can try this out before I decide if I'm gonna spend thousands of dollars on something that then may end up uh, yes. in the bin or put to the side or that I might try and return and it might be very difficult <laughs> to return. I don't know who's gonna throw it in the bin for uh, $2,000, but uh, you know, that's- Sounds like Stephen Scott yeah. to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Sean, I do, I guess, I guess if I were to play defender of Envision here, 
I would mm -hmm. say it costs money to develop a product like this. It costs money to offer a service when you start talking about those individual services they're offering. And I understand that people with disabilities feel perpetually taxed at every corner. The cost of having a disability is, is significantly more than not having a disability for people who might be on any kind of social assistance or a fixed income. Mm -hmm. It gets very difficult when a lot of assistive tech is placed out of their reach. But like, I would, I would suggest that it's not up to private corporations to start engaging in disability charity. No, and I think that's a good point. As I said, I'm not actually um, saying that this Envision subscription model is a bad thing. It's just brought up again because uh, with the Amazon rumors of of paying for you know, basic oh, features, that would annoy model, that would annoy the heck out of me. But, but it's, it's just like that that creep creeping in, right? I mean, what what aren't we paying for on a monthly basis at the end of the day? And uh, what's that going to look like down the line? I'm already juggling my streaming services you know my kids want to watch i don't know the latest marvel on disney plus and then i got got netflix and then amazon prime and i'm forever chasing them up and canceling them because they've watched that series so they don't need it anymore <laughs> and you could once you get other things on that and you start looking at basic services what we consider now basic services such as such as the use of a smart speaker then it can seem a little bit scary but no actually when it comes to envision I, I'm I'm with you. I think a businesses need to well be a business, and they need to make a profit there. And as I said, I think this may expose more people to the technology. And whether it's good or not, I, I personally I haven't used them. But as you said, as a general rule, people are excited by them and they seem to like them. So if it can help someone. Who's to say that $150 a month isn't worth every single penny? Mm. Hey, Sean, always appreciate your perspective on these stories. Thank you for always bringing accessible tech and inclusive tech into the forefront. All the best to you. Have a great day. Talk to you next week. Thank you, Dave. That's Sean Priest. He's one of the hosts of Double Tap. You can find that show daily at noon Eastern time on AMI-audio. If you ever hang out in my office, you'll uh, hear that pumping through the speakers. And you can follow the Double Tap team on Twitter at Double Tap On Air. Coming up after the break, Marissa Papaconstantinou will be competing at the upcoming Paralympics. Alex Smythe interviewed her, and you'll get to hear it. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's going to be an eventful year in the world of parasport. The Parapan Am Games are going down next month in Santiago, Chile. And the Paralympics are set for next summer in Paris, France. Alex Smythe is gearing up. He's meeting with all sorts of high-performance athletes as they prepare to represent Canada. Hello, Alex Hello, Dave. How are you doing? I'm doing well. This continues a series of conversations uh, that you collected at the Level Playing Field events last week in Toronto. And one of the athletes that you've given a couple shout-outs to here is Marissa Papin-Constantinou. Why should people keep her on their radar? Well, Marissa just has such a fascinating story. She is still a relatively young athlete, all things considered, but... 
her athletic career already has been uh, filled with highs and lows. She's suffered major setbacks from injuries to disqualification at a, a Paralympic Games to getting through those those challenges, those hurdles, building that re resilience, and then setting personal bests at Tokyo, coming away with a bronze medal there, and then recently setting again, uh, coming again with a bronze medal at the 2023 World Para Athletics World Championships. So there's the the struggles and the triumphs in her story and then if that's not enough for you she's also the first uh paralympic female athlete to be sponsored by nike dave so nice. uh, a, there's a lot of uh just reasons to really want to cheer her on and support her and she's going to be someone who's going to be uh, a name that you will hear more and more, I think, as the, the year goes on and as we head on to the next Paralympic cycle as well, because, as I said, she's still quite young and she's really setting a strong impression in her sport so far. All right, well, let's jump into the interview that you conducted. Let's hear what Marissa has to say. Marissa, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so you have been someone who's really dealt with a lot of highs and lows in your career so far um especially early on there was a lot of lows how did those kind of uh bouts of adversity how did that help kind of build resilience for you as you continue to train and, and start to see some of the success you work so hard for yeah absolutely i mean uh there were definitely a lot of early on challenges a lot of injuries disqualifications um but you know i think a lot of these things i talk about them as skills that I've added to my toolbox. And these skills are essentially just how I can deal and cope with challenges because they're inevitable, they happen. As an athlete, as a person in general, just going through life, there are always going to be obstacles, there are always going to be challenges. And going through those things at such a young age, firstly, really helped mature me in the sport and kind of helped shape the athlete that I am today. But also, you know, gave me the ability to deal with things head on and uh, manage them to the best of my ability. It was not easy and it was not something that, you know, I dealt with on my own. I was so lucky to have such a great community around me, my parents, my coaches, my teammates, uh, everyone just pushing to really make sure that I was able to get through those hard times. But I don't take back or I don't regret uh, anything that kind of like took place over the years because again, they've led me to where I am today. And I think without those, I don't know if I would have been able to um, maybe kind of push through some of the uh, experiences that I have today. Marissa, you mentioned your, your team that you really had around you. Can you tell me a bit more about the importance of having a strong team that you can really count on in those moments of need? Yeah, I mean, everyone says, you know, track's an individual sport. You're out there by yourself, which is true in so many ways. But a lot of the work that happens in the background on a regular basis is done by such a large team from, you know, my coaches, my strength and conditioning, physio, chiro, um, nutrition, biomech, like prosthetists. There's just so many people that are involved in uh, in my success and in my journey that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to achieve all these things if I didn't have this really amazing support. Oh, and of course, mental performance as well, because, you know, you're, you have to be a little crazy to do track and field. <laughs> but um, yeah, like... It's, it's really helped get me to where I am today. It's, again, these people have also helped shape me into the athlete I am, um, especially starting out so young um, and knowing that I had a very long career ahead of me. I had, I've had a very good support system to make sure that 
I wasn't burnt out too early, that I was, you know, doing all the necessary things to make sure that I had, you know, a very long, uh, like, lifespan in this sport and to make sure that I made it to the LA 28, 28 games and that's the plan for the future. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful to all the people around me. Um, and, again, I can't, I can't emphasize enough that, you know, track is, is also a team sport at the end of the day too. And so how is the training going right now? Yeah, I mean, so yesterday was my first back in base season for the 2024 season, uh, which is kind of crazy because I had a little bit of a up and down summer with just like my time off. I competed at world championships. I competed at nationals. I came home from nationals. I had a couple weeks off and then I got a call to compete at the Diamond League in Eugene, Oregon for the final, uh, which, you know, was a very new thing for my classification. So we were very excited to have that opportunity. So I wasn't in great racing shape for it, but, you know, I've had some time off, but I feel like overall I haven't really like stopped all that much. So to be back into it, um, is a little weird right now, but it's also very exciting because I know the year that's coming up and I'm going into the season stronger than I ever have before. So I think, you know, building off of those moments from this past summer and bringing them into next season and taking all those experiences with me moving forward and just continuing to hone my craft and be that best version of myself on and off the track, I think is what's going to propel me into the Paralympic season next year. And it's going to be busy it's going to come hot and heavy but I'm really excited well and you mentioned about the success that you've started to have you you set personal best in Tokyo you then uh, followed up with the bronze medal at the uh, para pan at uh, the, the world para uh, championships how do you maintain that momentum and, and build on it as you make your way into this 2024 season? It's a very good question. So I think this past summer I definitely struggled a little bit with the idea of going into a championship as a medalist. Um, that was new territory for me because Tokyo was my very first experience as a medalist. Uh, but I think, you know, working with my sports psych and kind of figuring out, okay, how do we approach this championships? I really had to be okay with the fact that I might never medal ever again. And it's a very weird combination because being okay with that, but also doing everything you can in your power to try and achieve that goal again. So it was, it's a very tricky, like contradicting thing to kind of grapple with but I think you know once I was able to get that and kind of let go of that pressure and that stress I just go out there and have fun and honestly just live my left best life on the track because at the end of the day I do this because it's fun and I have to remind myself that all the time so I think going into next year I just have to keep carrying that same energy and reminding myself of those those little tools that have gotten me to where I am and you know there will be tough moments along the way it's inevitable like I said before like challenges always come up but I'm ready for them and uh, yeah just keeping that same energy and again I have such great people around me to kind of remind me of when I maybe get in a little spiral or things don't go my way or whenever um, whenever challenges come up. So yeah, just using that combination of my, my team and uh, the mindset that I've developed over time. Now you mentioned that the, you, you're just getting back into the season now. When it is the, the off season, do you like to pick up or, or engage in other sports beyond just running or is running just a sole focus for you? So I really did want to actually try some different sports this last summer, but I just because we got invited to Eugene, I didn't really have a lot of downtime. And then when I did actually have two weeks off, I just wanted to chill and do nothing because I knew again, once we got back into it, it was going to be, you know, Monday to Saturday, every single day. Um, 
solid throughout the week. So um, I actually do love doing Pilates, though. That is something I like to do on the side. It's really good for, you know, general strength. Um, as an as a track athlete, you know, you're you're really strong in the big muscle groups, like squats and cleans and deadlifts and all these things. But um, at those little tiny muscles, um, it's good to work on those. So that's why I really like to do Pilates as well. And lastly, before I let you go, uh, you are a media student. Is it a bit strange now to go from, you know, maybe a bit more behind the camera in the production of it to now being the, the face and, and profiled in an episode of Level Playing Field? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I did stuff like this in school and it was phenomenal experience and I'm so glad to have had uh, my five years at TMU in the sports media program because I really did get such a overall good understanding of media production, sport business, like everything. And I, I'm, I love it because I can take it with me in my current life as an athlete. And of course, hopefully in the future one day as a, in a career in broadcast one day. Marissa, thank you so much for your time and best of luck. Thank you so much. So Alex, you had the chance to talk to Marissa. She was also featured in the first episode of Level Playing Field. You can find that on AMI Plus if you haven't caught it already. What was something you learned about Marissa or her sport that surprised you? Well, the thing that I found very interesting is for the most part, Marissa is training with a mixed group of, of runners. So there's able-bodied athletes, there's herself who has a lower limb loss, and they're all training together in that same environment, and they're still able to push each other and, and still build that um, kind of drive in, in that, that high performance environment that she can then take it to the different competitions around the world. Uh, the thing I've learned through the years of covering sprinting and running particularly, it's a very slow and, and minimal gain sport. So you're not going to see massive jumps in a short period of time. Mm. It's going to be maybe half a second here that you can build on, or maybe it's a second you can gain over the course of a year, which it sounds like minuscule, but that can make all the difference, especially if you're running short distance track, like 100, 200 meters. Yeah, yeah. Like a second, half a second could make the difference between meddling or missing the podium, podium entirely. So the fact she's able to do that and have that environment around her that it's it's this mixed group that are all training together and it's leading to her success was very interesting to learn for it, her. it's so funny because i always call that skill versus will and in some sports the precision is so important that you've got to do both right there's certain endurance sports like marathon running like yes your running gait matters but at the end of the day if you don't put the miles in and don't put the hours in you're not going to get results but something like sprinting or short distance running that little twitch of muscle where are you put your heel where you put the ball of your foot Alex it's wild what a difference it can make the skill versus will absolutely and and something that comes out in her story is uh, how she had to kind of build that that understanding with her coach because her coach hadn't uh, coached a athlete who uses a blade to run and so it's the understanding of the physiology of okay well you're going to be off-center. Your, your muscles are going to be in balance every single moment that you're running because of the nature of having a limb loss and having a blade opposed to another foot that you're using for your muscles. So it's trying to figure out, okay, how is your body reacting yeah. in a way that is appropriate for you, not just how it should be for overall. It, and it's really taking that individualized approach. Well, Alex, I'm looking forward to the uh, series of interviews you're going to be doing with para-athletes over the coming months, just like I look forward to the weather report you're going to do in 60 seconds. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes. 
Canada's main stock index gained 1.3% in trading yesterday following the long Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Toronto's TSX index rose 255 points to 19,501. New York's Dow Jones average gained 134 points and the Nasdaq added 78. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 189 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 73.54 cents US. Unifor put its short-lived strike on hold yesterday afternoon after General Motors agreed to a tentative contract just 12 hours into the job action. The deal reached for GM's nearly 4,300 unionized workers at three southern Ontario plants mirrors the deal the union struck with Ford two weeks prior. Ratification votes will be scheduled in the coming days before Unifor turns its attention to pattern bargaining with Stellantis. And plans for a gold mine near Wells, British Columbia took a significant step forward with the granting of an environmental assessment certificate. From the Canadian Press, I'm Karen Rebo. Gold. Thank you very much, Karen. Let's go back to Alex for the weather reports. Alex, it's been a little soggy in our neck of the woods in southern Ontario. Yeah, Dave, southern Ontario has been dealing with a prolonged period of wet weather, but thankfully, that's not to end today, at least for the rest of the week. The cool weather, on the other hand, you can kind of expect that to stick around. The highs will hover around the low teens as the cool temperatures linger within this region. This is kind of the fall weather you're going to expect to feel for the next little while. Now, there are concerns, though, that a Colorado low-pressure system could bring more rain this weekend as it moves up from the state into the Great Lakes. So in terms of how much rain and wet weather we're talking about, Hamilton, there could see upwards of 70 millimeters of rain this weekend, while Toronto could see 50 millimeters. Now, there's still a few days before we get to there, and there is a chance that the high pressure system over the prairies may force that Colorado system to stay south of the border, leave the Great Lakes region alone. But regardless, time will tell. As we get closer, the tracks will kind of solidify themselves. So if you are planning on doing something this weekend, be sure to check the weather before you go out. You may need an umbrella or a raincoat yeah, with you. Keep them raincoats ready. Tis the time of the season. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up after the break, the Ramen Ramen Festival is taking over Montreal. Community reporter Shiny Saravanamuthu will ladle out a report. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Get ready to tempt your taste buds. The Ramen Ramen Festival is coming back to Montreal. Community reporter Shiny Sarabanamuthu can ladle out the details. Hey, good morning, Shiny. Love the pun. <laughs> I, I'm, doing, I'm doing what I can, Shiny. You're here to pour out this report, so to speak. Uh, Shiny, I know you love a food experience. Why is this one worth the trek? Because I think during the fall season, having warm soup, any kind of warm comfort food is the best. And I think them having this ramen festival uh, from October 9th to October 22nd is perfect as we're like slowly adjusting into this cold 
cooler, I guess, weather compared to what we had of summer. I just think, you know, I, I especially get lazy kind of to cook uh, dinner sometimes during yeah, this time because I'm yeah. cold. So having this option of like throughout this month, pretty much to be able to pick up ramen from different places and kind of just try it and kind of make it a, a fun activity at the same time and just be lazy and not cook is great. <laughs> Shiny, I will confess to loving ramen, but also being a little bit of a ramen newbie, right? I'm, I'm kind of basic. Yeah. I'm just getting the basic stuff here. Oh, give me yes. chicken ramen and soft noodles. Okay, ooh, udon noodles. <laughs> that sounds great. So I tend to keep things pretty simple and pretty basic. Yeah. I'm a basic bro, Shiny. You know yeah. that. But what, kind, <laughs> what styles of ramen are on the radar here for this festival? Honestly, everyone has some different ones. It's and I'm glad because some restaurants actually have like their vegan option. I know everyone has dietary restrictions like myself. And, you know, obviously some people are not be able to eat pork. So they have different options, which is great. I know some people don't like too much vegetables or eggs in theirs. So it's really great because you're not stuck making like compromises and you can actually go and try the restaurants that you want to. Yeah. What I also like is that they spread it out throughout the island of Montreal. So it's not like only in downtown or like, you know, uh, so it's nice. So it kind of helps people try stuff closer to them and an excuse to go and try in other places as well. Mm -hmm. Like for me, like I live in the West Island, but there's a few downtown. So like on my lunch break, I'm probably going to go with my coworkers and go try one of the ones near our work. Like there's like two or three near my workplace. So, which is a great thing. So I think it's great. And I think, uh, now that we're hopefully clear of COVID, uh, we can actually go out and enjoy. <laughs> shiny, come, shiny, come on now. Let's not let's not tempt the gods like that. Well, let's uh, let's let's <laughs> let's be a little more chill. Okay, so what's on your personal ramen radar, or like what's the ramen that you're gonna go for typically? Like, listen, shiny. Again, I'll go back to this basic bro thing. I yeah. will walk into Dollarama and buy myself like the twelve pack of Mister Noodle and be <laughs> totally like totally content. That's that I'll also walk into a high end Japanese restaurant and get myself some. Yeah. Yeah. ramen as well yeah, but i'm just yeah. like give me the udon and the beef like let's go what about you yeah um i definitely like the one with like i like it spicy very spicy and i like it with the pork belly and uh some uh, spices and some veggies um once sometimes i do like a fried egg in there mm. depends it depends on my mood really to be honest um oh, man but yeah so I feel like, you know, with ramen, I feel like it really depends on the mood that you're in. And it's it's great because you can try so many different variations and get a different experience each time. So that's why I'm a huge fan of ramen. And like you said, even the, the cheap pack, Hits hits the spot sometimes. So. <laughs> I I just I got off a train on Monday night uh, from Montreal back to Toronto, and the first thing I did mm. when I got home was made myself a a pot of instant ramen because uh, that's how I roll, and it was uh, yeah. totally delicious. And I didn't look bloated on camera at all the next day, like not in the least. Uh, <laughs> well, at least uh, I used to eat them raw as a kid. <laughs> so <laughs> ah, yeah, I've been, I've been there too. I've been there too. So as Shiny well, told you, no, uh, the festival is running uh, from now all the way till October the twenty. Second, ramen ramen fes.com ramen ramen fes.com for uh, more information so shiny once you've eaten a bunch of salty noodles <laughs> maybe you want to wash it down with some wine le grand dugastation de montreal kicks off mm -hmm. later next week what's yeah. in store i think this is cool because uh i everyone knows here i'm obsessed with the holidays and having some great wine in the house for the holidays is a must. So this is a great way I find to go taste out some of the good 
new and like preferred wines and know what you want to serve at the holidays and so basically uh the entrance is $22 and you get a tasting glass and how it works for tasting it is that it's off of coupons so uh, one coupon is a dollar and how much a vendor is going to charge is up to them so they can charge three coupons for a tasting so you get three dollars for a tasting for a glass of wine and you kind of just hop around from each vendor and try out the different one by paying and you can use a smart app to pay or i believe you can actually buy like the tangible coupons once you're there um which is kind of cool because like sometimes we're we're luck reluctant to buy the same bottle of wine because that's what we're used to yeah. because we never adventure out Shiny. and you don't want to go like 100 yeah. percent. like you walk into yeah. the saq or the lcbo or alberta liquor or whatever province you're in mm -hmm. there are a million and seven options when you walk yeah. even even if you know what, even if you yeah. know what region you like or what style you like you could know everything in the world and there's still 10 or 15 bottles and you're like yeah uh wait what yeah, and like you're, and if it's like a twenty-five dollar bottle of wine or sixty, whatever the price, you, you're reluctant to be like, oh, do I want to try it out and waste it, or do I want to go for my regular bottle? So I think this is a great option to taste it and see if you actually like it, and then buy and keep it at home or for yourself or to entertain. So I think it's a great way for wine lovers to find out new wines that they can try and you never know someone might bring in a wine from out of country and you might get to experience something in Montreal while it's from another country. So I think it's a great, great, uh, great event to go to. And uh, I'm excited. You I think I'm going to go on the Saturday. Oh, uh, nice. Not the Friday. I think I'm going to go on the Saturday. Yeah. Nice. You know, Shiny, I think there's also a little bit of a disability angle to this. I, I, I've expressed this before and sort of been mm -hmm. met with uh, burrowed, uh, burrowed eyebrows uh, when I talk about this. But yeah. sometimes learning the language of something, learning about different tastes of wine or types of wine, yeah. that's going to change your experience when you go into the store and you talk to an employee because now yeah. you're armed with language. And I, I know this isn't necessarily advocate per se yeah. but when you walk into the store you can't just read the back of the bottle if you're legally yeah. blind or you're blind yes, it's like 100%. it's not going to work but now you're going to know the language and questions that you want to ask an employee to glean more information exactly and i think when it's like a personalized experience with the vendor that's selling the specific wine they'll give you more information that maybe a sales associate in lcbo or saq might not know so you're more likely to learn a lot more about what you're about to purchase than if you were to walk into a store. Mm -hmm. La Grande Dégustation de Montréal runs October the 19th to the 21st. It's going to be taking part at the Grand Quay at 200 Rue de la Commune Ouest en Montréal. Again, Thursday the 19th till Saturday the 21st. And I'm just looking to see if there's a website here. I don't have the website listed, but we'll try to get some information up on the blog mm -hmm. after the show, ami.ca slash now. Hey, Shiny, thank you for this. Enjoy no a beautiful time of year in Montreal. Thank you, thank you. I'll talk to you guys soon. That is Shiny Saravanamuthu, community reporter in Montreal, Quebec, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. I don't know why I'm plugging <laughs> the social media points of contact. I wanted to shout out the blog one more time, ami.ca slash now. In 60 seconds, Amanda Shikarchi will have an entertainment report all about Mr. Dress Up. But first, a U.S. state is suing TikTok. Mike Dubusky tells you why in Tech Trends.
Utah Attorney General Sean Reyes alleges TikTok's scrolling feed of videos amount to a cruel slot machine and that its algorithm creates a harmful addiction among younger users. TikTok designed and deploys an algorithm and features that spoon feed kids endless, highly curated content from which our children struggle to disengage. The lawsuit comes the same day the company adds some new features designed to direct its users to mental health resources, says TikTok's head of safety public policy, Lisa. When people are searching for certain topics in TikTok, they'll now be connected to trusted resources. Dr. Adam Borland is with the Cleveland Clinic, which partnered with TikTok. We want to make sure that they're getting the most accurate and safe information available. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. Amanda Shikarchi, a documentary about Mr. Dress Up caught your attention for today's entertainment segment. Definitely. It was very interesting. I watched it last night. Mr. Dress Up, The Magic of Mate Belief is a heartfelt documentary about Ernie Coombs' life. It discusses the impact Ernie Coombs had on young children through his character, Mr. Dress Up, as well as the popularity of the show over the years. So Amanda, you watched the documentary. What did you think about it? I thought it was extremely well done. What I enjoyed most about it is it discuss Ernie Coombs' life in a way that was very, like, relatable and heartfelt, but it also gave you the overview of what was going on in kids' programming at that time and some of the challenges that producers had to go through during this period. For example, they talked about the competition when Sesame Street came about and how that was very much a educational show and trying to teach kids things, whereas... Um, Mr. Dress Up was, yes, they had educational values within the show, but it was more of like a slower paced, heartfelt, easy show to digest. So I, I really liked the challenges. And I really liked that throughout the film, they sprinkled clips from the Mr. Dress Up so you can have context of what the show was like at the time. Oh, that's super, super cool. Do you think, based on what you saw, that the show could be successful today? I definitely think we need more characters like Mr. Dress Up today. I feel like it would be nice to have kids to have this easy place where they can go, where they just want to watch something fun. And I think also with the way that the consumption of kids' content is changing, like now lots of kids are going to YouTube to watch little clips like Coco Melon, for example. Or Bluey. I feel like Mr. Dress Up can totally be adapted into a short form show that can catch the kids' attention in the mediums that they're going to today. Yeah, you might have to speed it up a little bit. You might have to make it a little brighter and a little louder, just based on a way a way a lot of the kids' content is made today. But I still think you're right, that a great character and engaging entertainment is always going to work. Something like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, there's a reason why that show is still beloved all these years later, and why parents will still have their kids watch that on YouTube, because there's something that's just universal about the way these hosts can connect with kids. Amanda, we got to get out here thank you for this have a great day thank you so much mr dress up the magic of make-believe is available to stream on amazon prime video so you can get your toilet paper delivered and watch a documentary all about mr dress up coming up after the break i've got the regional news update some interesting stories out of the territories the prime minister lots of hockey all the canadian nhl teams start their season tonight 
So the question will be asked, what is six on AMI-tv? It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, October the 11th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, the CRTC plans to regulate podcasts in Canada. Kevin Shaw offers his perspective on that decision. And Elections Canada wants to design a new app to make voting more accessible to Canadians with disabilities. Elizabeth Moeller and Marco Pasquale will react to that idea. But the hour begins with the regional news update. Starting in the territories, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will visit the Northwest Territories today. Karen Rebo looks ahead. The Northwest Territories saw nearly 70% of its population displaced during this year's unprecedented fire season, including a three-week evacuation order that forced around 20,000 people to flee the capital Yellowknife and a nearby First Nation. Today, the PM is expected to visit Hay River, where he'll meet with local leaders and visit some fire-scorched sites. A fast-moving fire in August ripped through the highway hamlet of Enterprise, south of Hay River, destroying nearly all of that community's homes and structures. 95 wildfires were still burning in the territory as of yesterday. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. And over to the prairies. Manitoba Premier designate Wab Canoe is already meeting with municipal leaders. Canoe met with Winnipeg Mayor Scott Gillingham and the head of the Association of Manitoba Municipalities yesterday. Canoe says plans are in the works for a multi year funding deal with cities. And from there, we'll be heading into the budgeting process and I hope to have some very good news for people of Manitoba who want to see our streets uh, repaired, who want to see investments in our communities and of course us having a good working relationship will help to deliver on that. Mayor Gillingham and Canoe also discussed addressing homelessness in the city. We're dedicated here to be working uh, in a way where we're sharing uh, information, communicating, a partner together for the sake of the people that are struggling in our community right now, they're unsheltered, uh, some struggling with addictions. Canoe has promised to end chronic homelessness within eight years. And over to Ontario, the new chief of police in Thunder Bay wants to rebuild trust with the Indigenous community. A panel found a lack of trust in police among the Indigenous community. Dar Fleury says there will be zero tolerance for racism in the force. Fleury is Métis himself. He's optimistic he can bring change to the community. I don't feel a lot of weight because uh... I know, I know what needs to be done. I know the people are anxious in this community to, like everybody in this community is anxious to like really do some good things, make heal and bring the community together. So I think we're in a really great spot as far as uh, being a part of that. That's your look at the regional news. Brock Richardson is standing by for a sports chat. Brock, it was a good first night in the world of NHL hockey. The Tampa-Nashville game proved to be quite interesting with a couple lead changes in the third period. And Chicago Blackhawks rookie Connor Bedard made his debut against the Pittsburgh Penguins and Sidney Crosby. That game was pretty good, too. 
Yeah, I will tell you that I, I don't like doing this, but I'm going to do something I don't love doing. I'm going to shout out referee Kelly Sutherland for starting the game between uh, Pittsburgh Penguins and the Chicago Blackhawks. He looked directly at Sidney Crosby and said, welcome back for another season. And then he looked at Connor Bedard and said, welcome to the NHL as they took the opening phase off. And he said, it's go time and drop the puck. And from then on, it was real good hockey. And I really enjoyed it. And I got to tell you, Dave, Connor Bedard is going to be for real. I last night he was not afraid. He was taking chances. He got an assist last night. The Chicago Blackhawks proved that they could come back from a deficit. I don't know how excited we should get about Chicago and how deep they're going to be going this year, but overall I would say very very successful night for the opening night of the NHL play, NHL season. Yeah, nice foray. Nice foray to get things going. And the the game, the tempo of the Pittsburgh-Chicago game was great. I don't think either of those teams are going to play much defense this year. So that could be that could be <laughs> some trouble for Pittsburgh. They're going to be skating up and down the ice. They're going to need to score four or five goals a game if they have any hope of uh, making the playoffs and going on a run. Brock, let's switch to the Canadian side of the NHL hockey equation because all seven Canadian teams start their season tonight, including three games that are all Canadian matchups. Let's go through these teams team by team and focus on a central question, which is what would you consider a successful season for each Canadian team going west to east here? No East Coast bias for a couple guys in southern Ontario. The Vancouver Canucks, what would you call success for the Vancouver Canucks? I don't see this as a playoff team for sure. I see this as a team that might be able to contend for a first overall draft pick at the end of the year, maybe. Uh, I don't see this as being a team that's going to go very far. But give your fans, you know, something. This year, I just don't see them going very far overall. Success so, for Vancouver is don't be a laughing stock. Don't be an embarrassment of an organization, which they definitely were last year with the bungling of their firing of the head coach, Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux, the team perpetually no-showing for games and getting blown off the ice. Brock, they have two great pieces to build around. They've got Elias Pettersson and they've got Quinn Hughes forward and a defenseman two of the best young players in the league otherwise brock i would strip this thing down to the studs and go try to get that number one overall pick absolutely if we look at calgary i would say this team has a lot of talent they have elias lindholm nazim kadri but in my mind this team comes and goes with of two names, Jonathan Huberdeau and Jacob Markstrom. If you can get good out of those guys, this team could be very good and could contend for a playoff and maybe another Western Conference final between Edmonton and Calgary would mm. be my dream for this team this year because I want to see another Battle of Alberta Western Conference final. Western Conference Final might be a little bit much, but I do think that their scale for success in Calgary is making the playoffs. They want to make the playoffs. They need to make the playoffs. They only missed by a couple points last year. They weren't far out. They lost a lot of games in overtime. They really disliked their coach, Daryl Sutter. Success for Calgary is make the playoffs and then try to make a little bit of noise. Over to the Edmonton Oilers, Brock. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Evander Kane, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. This is a stacked team offensively. Stacked, stacked, stacked. Brock, I think for them, success has to be at least the Western Conference Finals. Maybe the Stanley Cup Finals. Maybe their degree of success might even be Stanley Cup or bust. 
You know, you must be reading my paper because I wrote my simple. My answer is simple. Stanley Cup final or bust. That is my answer. Do this now or never. If you don't get to the Stanley Cup final, your uh, city is going to totally probably bail on you and talk about keeping Connor McDavid and rebuilding. This is a team that needs to do it now and they need to do it quick and they're just they got to do it they got to be in the Stanley Cup final this year simple they've got to take that next step over to the Winnipeg Jets interesting team here Brock because they navigated the trading of star player Pierre-Luc Dubois quite nicely over the summer they just re-signed their starting goaltender Connor Hellebuck they just re-signed their number one center Mark Shifley to an extension three days ago I would have told you Winnipeg was a teardown job, trade the players, get one of these top picks. Now, all of a sudden, that degree of success shifts. I would say they've got to make the playoffs and maybe even win a round for it to be a successful year for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, to me, this is a team that looks to me like they're going to get in on the wild card side of things. I don't think they're going to finish top three in the, in their division. I think they're going to get in on the wild card. They do have some talent. They've made their decision on Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck. Now the whole story isn't nobody wants to play in Winnipeg. It's let's build around that. I do think they get things started and they get them going. We'll see what happens sort of at the trade deadline. This is a team that I say, where are they at the trade deadline? What do they look like? And where do we go? We obviously have talent up front with uh, Mason Appleton and Nikolai Ehlers. So let's see where we build from all that with all this signing and that's gone on, but they've made their decision. Now let's play hockey and figure out where we can go with the Winnipeg Jets. But I think it's a wild card team for them uh, this year. Maybe one of the most underrated goal scorers in the entire league, Kyle Connor for the Winnipeg Jets. Incredible, incredible goal scorer. He's broken 40 a bunch of times and doesn't get the love that he deserves. So the Winnipeg Jets, really, really compelling team in the Canadian hockey picture. Okay, let's talk about a team that nobody ever talks about, the Toronto Maple Leafs. (laughs) You talk about Stanley Cup final or bust for Edmonton. I don't know if it's quite there for Toronto, Brock, but it's got to be Eastern Conference final and at least sniff the Stanley Cup final for this to be a successful season for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, this is this I I I agree with you totally. I wrote down Eastern Conference final. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid that some of the prognosticators are drinking and saying they're going to make the Stanley Cup final. This is a team that looks very much the same. You also got to look at a full season of Matthew Nye, who let's see what he does. They added Max Domi this year. I love that addition. Really comes down to in goal um, uh, to see what they're going to do there. I Again, we kind of have to figure out what this team is. What are you? You've run it back. You need to get to the Eastern Conference Final because if they don't get to the Eastern Conference Final, I'm questioning my fandom of this team okay. this, this time around, and <laughs> oh, we might have okay. to move to another Canadian oh, team. But, okay. yeah. Uh, the one thing I, would, I do want to mention here, Brock, I should have mentioned this with Edmonton as well, very precarious salary cap situation. In fact, it's being reported that Edmonton might not even be able to uh, put a full roster on the ice tonight because they're already over the salary cap. Toronto is also right there. They're right up against the pin right now, despite making some trades and getting players on the uh, long-term injured reserve. So it's it's a precarious situation for both those teams. If they deal with injuries, uh, it could fall apart quite quickly for those teams who have such high expectations. Okay, especially in goal with Ilya Samsonov and Joseph Wall. Like if 
if one of those goalies goes down, you're going to be in trouble. And again, I, I listen to all these people in Toronto who say, oh, it could be a really good tandem between those two goalies. No, for me, by midseason, one's got to be above the other, and okay. we've got to pick a number one goaltender. I know the second guy's got to play, you know, 30 games or so. I get that, but we've got to pick one or the other. We can't just say it's going to be a great tandem all year. That's drinking the Toronto yeah. Kool-Aid, in yeah. my opinion. Oh, the Toronto media would never do that. It's not like it's not like the two biggest broadcasters in the country also own the Maple Leafs, so therefore they would never blow any smoke or uh, pour any Kool-Aid up for the Toronto Maple Leafs. They would never do that. Uh, Brock, over to the Ottawa Senators, a team that really uh, missed expectations last year. People thought they would at least compete for a playoff spot. They did not. Success for Ottawa, Brock, I'm putting it in the exact same spot I did last year. This team needs to be in the playoff mix on March, 5th, on March the 15th. I'm not saying that they need to make the playoffs, but they've got to take it down to the last game or two of the season. On St. Patrick's Day, they have to be ready to make a playoff push. That's success for me for the Ottawa Senators. Success for me is a little bit further. I would say that they need to make the playoffs. This is a team that is good enough, in my opinion, to make the playoffs. You've uh, added uh, Brady Kachuk, Claude Giroux, in addition to Tim Stutzela. The Jacob, the Jacob Chikrin trade last year, bringing in a top-tier defenseman. You've got Jonas Corposalo in goal. Love that addition. This, to me, is a team that needs to get into the playoffs. It's not, in my opinion, it's not a top-three team in, in the East. Uh, uh, not obviously, but it's not a top-three team. To me, it's a wild-card team for them as well, but they've got to make that little extra step and get into the playoffs. And finally, my beloved Montreal Canadiens uh, coming off another bad year last year. They're deep in the middle of a rebuild right now. Brock, I don't even think it's about where the team finishes in the standings in regards to what constitutes a successful season for the Montreal Canadiens. It's are your young players taking another step? Is Nick Suzuki, their center their center iceman, an 80-point player? Is Cole Caulfield, their former first-round pick, is he a 30-40 to 40 goal scorer? Yuri Slavkovsky, their former first overall pick, can he score 15 or 20 goals? Can a very, very young defense core continue to take steps? So this year, Brock, it's still not about the wins or losses in Montreal. It's about progression of your young players. Yeah, and I mean, I again, this is another team that could contend for the number one overall draft pick. And I and I think you're right. I think it's all about individuality and what do you see from those individuals. But and I know hockey's a team sport. I get that. But if you can see steps from an individuality point of view with all those things you just mentioned, then it builds your team into something better moving forward as a group. And I think for me, it's some of the chemistry I want to see. It's like, are we building? Is our power play better this year? Yes. Is our penalty kill better? All those things. I don't think it's results based. I think it's totally. What do we see on the ice moving forward? And I think the Montreal fans, you'd know better than I do, but I think they, they would understand that and, and realize this is where we are. And yeah. I think that's what excites people in Montreal is what the future will hold versus today itself. They're getting a little itchy in Montreal, but I think they've got one year of patience left in them. Brock, thank you for this. Enjoy what is going to be a very busy sports day. Playoff baseball starts at 2.07 p.m. Eastern time. So while you're watching Kelly and company, you can have baseball on the side screen. Split screen, love it. There you go. That's Brock Richardson. He's at the AMI Sports Desk, by the way. Not Kelly and Company. It's Kelly and Rumya at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Coming up next, the CRTC has decided to regulate podcasts in Canada. 
Kevin Shaw will offer his perspective on the story. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The CRTC plans to regulate podcasts in Canada. It would require podcasts generating more than $10 million annually to register their information with the commission. This has generated a whole bunch of criticism, and Kevin Shaw is here to share his perspective. Kevin is the host of Mind Your Own Business on AMI-tv. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Morning, Dave. Kevin, there's going to be some room for editorializing in just a moment, but there's also been a lot of what I would call misinformation or noise around this story. What is the CRTC requiring podcasters to do? Okay, so so I went to the CRTC website uh, directly to the source. Awful website, by the way. <laughs> Not and easy I looked to use. Up, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I looked up what this what this new requirement is. And so the requirement is for podcast providers, so the platforms, right? Your your Spotify's and your Apple Music's and and you know other places that you go and get podcasts to register with the CRTC if you if you generate ten million dollars of revenue revenue, not profit, or higher. And so you're required to register as a uh, as a as a regulated platform, if you will, mm -hmm. with the CRTC, and, and this is this is meant to be an extension of existing uh, Canadian content laws, which I know uh, you and I have shared some thoughts about before. But but why are they why are they doing this? Why was this a priority for both the government and then by extension the CRTC? So two things. One is there's no clear reason why, given on the actual CRTC website, there's no like, hey, here's the preamble. This is why we do this. This is, you know, what we think the Canadian broadcasting system should be. Um, I think it's because when you look at, uh, let's say, a, a regular over-the-air radio station, either FM or AM, they're they're going to be podcasting some of their shows. And so if you're Rogers Communications, for example, you are technically a podcast platform that's generating over $10 million in revenue, mm -hmm. regardless as to whether that, that's going to come from podcasting. And so if you're putting out, uh, I don't know, um, you know, DJ Climax does like a mix on uh, Friday Friday mornings on, on uh, KISS 92.5, which is one of the big stations here in Toronto. Um, if he's putting out the, if they decide to do a podcast of that DJ mix, you know, now all of a sudden that has to be subject to Canadian content rules and 35% of the songs have to be Canadian, uh, you know, and it's got to be category one and, you know, all, all kinds of stuff on there that, that <laughs> minutia to regulate. <laughs> yeah, minutia. Okay. So Kevin, when you talk about $10 million of revenue, I think it's fair to say anybody who's in the podcast business knows that's actually quite a big number in regards to revenue. But if you were to speculate a little bit here, what impact could this have on podcasters and content creators? Well, I, I think the biggest impact is going to be discoverability. And so the idea here is that if you open your podcasting app and you're like, well, what should I listen to? 
the CRTC wants Canadian podcasts to be pushed up to the front, not based on what's trending, not based on what's popular. It's just what's Canadian, uh, you know, what what's going to actually satisfy our Canadian content rules, which, mm-hmm. which I think in the 21st century are just completely arbitrary. <laughs> um, you know, and and have uh, you know, and have people say, well, I'm going to click on what's Canadian as opposed to yeah, I hate to say it, but what's good? Yeah, yeah. yeah you, know, you know, Kevin, you and I have tussled about this before. <laughs> I, I don't like. I don't mean it in a way that like we've fought about this in some kind of mean way. But I, yeah. I, I'm someone who does appreciate Canadian content, and I also appreciate so I. and I also appreciate what what it has done regulatorily to at least build something of an industry that goes through its ebbs and its flows. But you can probably trace the strength of the Canadian television industry and the strength of the Canadian music industry, maybe to a lesser extent, the movie industry, to some CanCon regulations. But I do agree with you here. The idea of simply just pushing CanCon up to the front because you're Spotify and you want to operate in Canada or you're Netflix and you want and you want to operate in Canada or you're YouTube and you want to operate in Canada, I'm less comfortable with that. An alternative that I would be more comfortable with is at least maybe a drop-down menu or a category that's at least shown relatively close to the top of the app. But in my opinion, it doesn't need to be the tip, tippy-top thing. Show me what's trending, for goodness sakes. Right. And and I mean, at the same time, it's like, you know, there's some YouTube channels that I follow that are Canadian and they're huge. And that happened organically. That didn't happen because of government intervention. Mm-hmm. They were they were unique. They were niche, uh, you know, niche style programming. Um, <laughs> one of my favorites is a guy at a PC called Electro Boom. <laughs> who, who just he does a channel on electricity. It basically shocks himself in every episode. <laughs> Um, which is quite comical to watch, but you know, I mean, I, I've got friends who are who are like professional, like full time YouTubers, and they grew organically uh, and without this sort of government regulation to to sort of push them. And and yes, I get that we want to highlight Canadian content, but you know, if we want to highlight Canadian content, let's let's make stuff out there that's excellent mm-hmm. and, and worthy of being on that trending list. Yeah, while we're doing shout-outs, I want to say uh, RM Transit, the YouTube channel all about public transit in Canada and around the world. Like, this guy does phenomenal work. Uh, Reese <laughs> Martin of RM Transit. And again, like you said, he found a niche, he found an expertise, and he built an amazing, amazing channel. And Kevin, as I go scratch a little bit deeper here, I do worry a little bit about the top heaviness that might occur, which is, oh, you've got the $10 million in revenue. Okay, register with us. We're going to make sure you pop up in this tab. And it might not allow room for some of the smaller to medium players that's, to truly grow exactly and emerge. Right. Like, 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 listen, I like Shania Twain, but for about 15 years, that was like the only Canadian country music you would hear on the radio. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And look, I worked in Canadian, uh, I worked in community radio for eight years and I'd done, uh, you know, seminars with, with all of our programmers and, you know, done talks with them and said, look, the CRTC is not out to get us. And, and today I take that back. I think the CRTC is, is out to, you know, let's promote the, you know, the, the, the bigger podcasters, the bigger names. Um, and what I'm afraid of Dave is, point of view that would not necessarily get 
uh, you know, a front and center hearing, those points of view are going to be squashed down. Mm. And, you know, the approved narrative, the approved stories, they're the ones that are going to get uh, that are going to get boosted up. And I think it's dangerous in a marketplace of ideas. Yes. You know, I think you, you've got to have the, you know, the, the, those quote unquote trustworthy voices. Um, but you've all, you also need the fringe voices so that you've got a little bit of um, uh, you, you've got some variety there and, and allow people to make up their own minds about things. Kevin, let's leave it there. But I love talking about media stuff with you. I love talking about media criticism. Thank you for your insight. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. Great. Thank you for having me. That's Kevin Shaw. He's the host of Mind Your Own Business on AMI-tv. The new season right around the corner, about a month away. Coming up after the break, Elections Canada wants to design a new app to make voting more accessible to Canadians with disabilities. Elizabeth Moeller and Marco Pasqua will react to the idea. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Elections Canada wants to make voting more accessible. The organization is looking for a tech firm to design an app. The app would assist voters who are blind verify their ballot independently. This is part of Election Canada's accessibility plan. They hope to test the technology in 2024. Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller have thoughts on accessible voting. So do I. Good morning, Marco. Good morning. And hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Dave. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, indeed. So, Marco, why did this story capture your attention? You put this one into the group chat. Yeah, well, it's quite simple. I think that every Canadian deserves the rights to a free and fair and reliable um, voting system, election system. Hot take. And, Hot uh, take over there. Yeah, Democracy yeah. is good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> go, go figure. Uh, but no, like, honestly, the accessibility component is quite important to me. Um, and and I think that not all Canadians have had the opportunity to have um, the way to verify that their selections have uh, been made accurately, uh, especially if you're in the low vision or blind community. Um, you, you may be going off of trust, uh, depending on uh, the severity of your disability. And so I do think that we do need to take a look at that. You know, Elizabeth, this is a topic that's come up quite a few times over the years on the show because, like Marco said, it's important. If you want to live in a democracy and as people with disabilities, if you want your voices heard and your advocacy to come to fruition, you got to vote. But the voting experience is not always accessible. What has been your experience with accessibility and voting? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say, unfortunately, less positive than more positive. Mm. I often will vote in the advanced polls because it's quieter. Election day can be quite tumultuous. And 
I will often connect in, in advance to try and find out which stations are actually accessible. So whether that's a wheelchair entrance mm. or uh, accessible by public transit, and then I'll get there and they'll have no idea how to assist someone with sight loss. So whether that be coming in with me and marking the ballot or a braille ballot or um, allowing me to bring someone in, and it generally becomes, I hate to say it, quite a production. So uh, something yeah. that should hmm. frankly take you five or 10 minutes. I've been in there for half an hour while they call their supervisor. Wow. And it's not this, this is the fault of the staff. It's just they're not trained, right? And so I, th I think for me, one of the things I'd like to see for sure, in addition to what Marco was saying, is just more awareness rolled out about how to train the staff, frontline staff on the day of. Yeah, and especially because these tend to be people who only really work for Elections Canada for a couple of days. In fact, I've done exactly. it. I've been a poll clerk. I've been a, I've been a DRO. Uh, you get pretty limited training, although I've got to yeah. say it was a pretty fun day of work. I really felt like I was engaging in democracy that day in a totally different Dave's way. Dave's democracy. Dave's democracy it. through and through. But <laughs> you guys both hit the word independence, and that word jumps out mm. to me as well because Marco, I do see the risk here, at least, okay, we don't live in an ideal world. In an ideal world, you would just be right. told where to make your mark, and for sure you would make your yeah. mark, and you put it in the box, and that's it. It's all verified. You don't need to worry about independence. But the reality is, Marco, you do, because the world can be nefarious at times. It, it can, right? And I, I uh, fortunately don't have to have an uh, attendant or somebody come in with me during uh, my voting. Uh, but I would be so concerned uh, that somebody may uh, mark my ballot differently based on their opinions and based on every vote counts, right? So mm -hmm. one extra vote uh, towards their candidate may support them if uh, they don't see eye to eye with my my political belief system, right? So that that is that can be scary, right? And I truly believe that everybody has the right to select whoever they believe is the candidate that they would like to see as the front runner. And so if we don't have a system in place in order to do that, um, you know, that's where I have issues. I mean, don't get me wrong. I actually like paper ballot systems, but, and, and you know, being able to mark it down with a, with a pencil, but unfortunately that doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. So we just need mm -hmm. to make sure yeah. that whichever way we're going about doing this, that everyone has the right to enact their voice, as you said, Dave. Yeah, yeah Elizabeth, I, I know that it sounds like I'm getting a little conspiratorial, right? The idea that some <laughs> attendant or elections worker would do something nefarious, but I think it's, it's like, it's a reality that you at least have to mm -hmm. acknowledge in yeah. the conversation, right? Absolutely. And I think what Marco touched on is choice. And so independence is going to look different for different mm -hmm. people. For me, I'm a smartphone user. Having that app would be fantastic. For someone else, it might be bringing someone that they trust into the ballot uh, box area. It might be, you know, different kinds of ballots. It might be a mail-in ballot. So I think oh. for me, this this push, this conversation around independence is really important. But thinking about choice and that independence is going to look different for different people and that, you know, not all folks are comfortable using a smartphone. Um, and then that gets into a whole other discussion on on equity and who has it and who doesn't, which we mm. don't have time for today. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're advocating <laughs> with a poll clerk or a DRO. Exactly. Like, no, no, I need you to use your <laughs> phone. And can you just download the app over here? And that's going to work. And, and Marco, along those lines, I actually had that thought, too, about the intersection of the usability of technology and belief mm. in its potential, but also the concern that maybe you think about technology as this cure-all as opposed to something that might be a 
little bit more universally designed. So for example, Marco, I would think about having ballots with large fonts and raised lettering as the standard, right? Love so it. yeah, sure. so like, what, what do you think about maybe that balance between the high tech and sometimes just a bit of low tech decision making that can really benefit everybody without downloading an app or designing an app, et cetera, et cetera? Well, especially, Dave, when it comes to elections, I'm actually a massive fan of low technology. I do think that votes need to be independently verified by a human being. And, you know, as soon as you put it through technology, that does leave it, um, you know, through some questionable things that can be altered or changed in a way that we wouldn't be able to verify on our end, right? And so having large print ballots that do have, you know, fonts that are able to, to be able to have some sort of tactile component and some sort of feel component on paper, I'm all for that. I say, let's go, right? But at mm -hmm. the same token, yeah. I, I do think that there needs to be, as Elizabeth said, some options and some mm. balance there. Yes, so long yes. as the way in which those votes are being verified is a unified approach, a unified system, uh, because there is uh, room for error there. There is room for exploitation. Yeah, Elizabeth, I heard an affirmation from you there. Because yes. uh, I do think of it as a little bit of a cost-benefit analysis. I acknowledge that large print, uh, large fonts with raised with raised lettering might cost a little bit more but per ballot printed but how much is it going to cost to develop this app and keep this app up to date etc cetera, etc cetera. exactly yeah. and and you know i think what you've touched on both of you is the universality every every election i feel like i i go to there's some different braille card that i have to read and discern and figure out or the large print overlay and the card over top isn't quite lined up properly. So I'm always figuring something out. So I think for me, this is this is a great suggestion. I think the universality is going to be really important in getting it consistent yep. and testing. So before, you don't want to be testing this on election day. And this is always what makes me anxious is, okay, now I have to learn this new thing and right. I'm really stressed because I'm voting and people are behind me and they're yelling because the lineup's long. So the ability for testing of, of any kind of solution, whether it's an app ahead of time and getting that user feedback is going to be really critical. Elizabeth, let's give you a promotion here. I'm putting you in charge okay. of Elections uh -oh. Canada. What oh would you God. what would you do to improve the accessibility of voting? Well, so many things, but I think I think certainly more um, user-friendly ballots that have been tested. I think more options for voting. So making sure people have options, whether it's mail-in, drive to a station, somebody to come to your home and help you vote, and really clear, plain language on what your rights and your responsibilities oh, yes. are as a voter. Oh, I like oh, that. Oh, that's you good. Like that, eh? That's did, good. Did I do it by consulting business past the test? <laughs> well, let's go, let, well, let's go to someone who actually runs <laughs> their own consulting okay. business, Marco Pasqua. <laughs> Marco, I'm not going to give you the promotions at elections Canada because you run your own successful business, but let's say Elections Canada reached out to you for some consulting. What would you offer up to tell them in regards to improving the accessibility of voting? Only accessibility, Dave? Okay, uh, well, uh, I, I would say, honestly, I would honestly say that um, yeah, from my experience, from a mobility device user, I've actually had really decent success with regards to the locations, but vetting those locations and ensuring mm -hmm. that accessibility makes sense for all people that are in the region, I yeah. think is really important, right? Like, I'm fortunate that my voting location is often my old elementary school, which literally they poured a concrete ramp 
for me to attend at school. So I know that in order for me to get to the gym area, I'm actually going to be able to get there to make my vote. But that doesn't mean that accessibility is a, you know, uh, a catch all for everybody and that it's going to work for everyone. So ensuring that we are approaching this from a universal design approach and that all individuals in the area, if they have concerns about accessibility for themselves, because accessibility means different things to different people, that they're able to check ahead with those locations mm -hmm. and with yeah. those volunteer staff and ensure that their needs are going to be able to be met just so that they can enact, as you said, mm. the democratic process yep. and make sure that their voice is heard. Um, without that, um, you may become frustrated and say, well, I guess, could, is there a way that I can have my vote sent to my home or something? But you shouldn't have to go to that, you know, length. You should mm -hmm. be able to do it in any any of the ways that anyone else in your community is doing it. So I guess that would be my attachment to what Elizabeth already said, which were great suggestions. You guys nailed this. Marco, Elizabeth, thank you both for this. Marco, have a wonderful day. You as well. Elizabeth, you enjoy your day as well. Talk to you soon. You as well, Dave. Talk to you soon. That's Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller talking all about accessible voting. What do you think? What would you do to make voting more accessible? Send emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or pick up the phone and give the show a ring, 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. Or heck... Get involved in the social media conversation. On Twitter, it's at Accessible Media. On TikTok, it's at Accessible Media. On Facebook and Instagram, it's at Accessible Media Inc. Coming up after the break, what goes into a great hotel experience? Alex Smythe has that question for myself, Ramya Amuthan. I'm so bad at talking today for myself and Ramya Amuthan. Use, use words, Dave. I've got two minutes to recover. And then now with Dave Brown, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. This show is approaching its end, about 12 minutes left on the clock. But don't worry, if you enjoy live programming on AMI-tv, there's more coming your way this afternoon, 2 p.m. Eastern time. It's Kelly and Ramya. Ramya Emuthan is the co-host of that show. Ramya, what's coming up on the show today? On today's show, we're talking about much music programming because decades of it is being rescued from the sands mm -hmm. of time. Corinne Van Dusen is going to tell us more on the entertainment report. And there's a Halloween um, festival, festivity, no, event taking place at the Canadian Museum of Human Rights later this month. So Winnipeg community reporter Vic, Vic Pereira is going to join us to tell us more about that. And we have our um, monthly business talk with Kevin Shaw. We're continuing on with business etiquette. And today we're emphasizing time management. Oh my God. <laughs> Responding to emails in a timely manner, business <laughs> etiquette through and through. Uh, Ramya, that is fantastic. The show is going to be a good one. But don't go anywhere because Alex Smythe, for the roundtable conversation today, you want to talk about hotel rooms. I just had a marvelous stay at the Holiday Inn at the corner of Crescent and René Levesque in Montreal over Thanksgiving weekend. Marvelous, marvelous stay. So you want to talk about a little bit of positivity here. Good hotel experiences. 
Yeah, Dave. So, you know, we've all traveled extensively on this round Oof. table for different reasons, work, pleasure, what have you. And that means staying in hotels. You just had a phenomenal experience. That's great. I, I'm sure all of us have had those. Sometimes they're not so great experiences. Sometimes they're unexpected, uh, kind of maybe nightmarish experiences. But I want to focus you know, mainly on the positivity. Let's be positive on a Wednesday. Let's be positive. Exactly. So let's check in to our hotels. Let's explore this topic. <laughs> so Ramya, we'll start with you on this. What is the most important thing you look for when deciding on a hotel? Uh, so I don't look for anything particularly um, specific, but I think that when I look for a hotel, I need it to, the, the location matters very, very Heck much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not necessarily, uh, you know, it has to be on the, the street or it has to be right at a corner, but you know, how close am I to downtown? How close am I to transit? How close am I to spots where I can just grab a coffee, grab breakfast, etc. Etc. Because yeah, you're not spending a lot of time in your hotel room. Or well, at least I do. The... I do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not spending a lot of time in my hotel room, but the the general like area where my hotel is located ends up being much more important than I ever give credit for. At the end of every trip, this is hindsight, and I go, yeah, thank goodness I picked this spot. This is I would stay here again, or mm -hmm. vice versa, right? Where I'm like, okay, this was not a great spot for a, you know hotel took me an hour to get to a Starbucks yeah, or something. Yeah, no, no, look, let, let's be super clear. Location is everything. And this is yeah. obviously a theme that comes up a lot with us as three people who represent the uh, spectrum of being blind. Mm -hmm. you, we cannot drive. And when you cannot drive, location is everything. One of the reasons I loved my hotel experience this weekend, beyond the hotel itself, it was an eight-minute walk to Gare Centrale in Montreal. You know, like, that's amazing. Central Station, eight-minute walk away. Get off the train, walk to your hotel when it's time to check out you check out of the hotel you walk to the train it was brilliant it's something similar when i go to a city like ottawa where the train is not in the middle of the downtown core but i will pick a hotel that i like the business inn at the corner of somerset and elgin or mclaren and elgin it's amazing it's not the fanciest hotel in the world but the location alex is brilliant like it's so easy to get anywhere around the downtown core and frankly almost anywhere else in the city from that location location is everything when paying for a hotel room yeah and it sounds like too dave i mean picking uh, hotels on elgin street it's it, elgin's a very fun street in ottawa so i don't blame you for constantly going back to elgin street um for for myself yes location does matter for me it's not about being close to downtown or you know necessarily a train station it's what i'm there for whether if it's work mm. or if it's like something else i want to be close to where i have to go i don't care if it's like an airport hotel or somewhere out in the middle of the boonies or something like that as long as it's close or direct to where I need to go for my purpose. Mm -hmm. I care more about that than just being downtown. Like, yes, downtown is great and all that stuff. But for me, I'm not usually one to go out and explore as much as uh, others are when it's the free time. I, I typically, after if I'm there for travel and for work, I'm typically at the end of the day, I'm back at the hotel. Oh, yeah. If it's work, so. if it's work, forget yeah. dinner with Darcy to Tony and Lisa. No, we don't need that. <laughs> we're, we're getting room service by myself. But Alex, I think what you're identifying yes. there is still about location. 
location. So when I went down to Raleigh, North Carolina in 2014, we deliberately picked a Ramada that was right next to the hockey arena because we knew the yeah. hockey arena was going to be the center of our big activity yeah. throughout the course of that week. And we wanted to be walking distance to the arena. Now, that eventually led to us having to run across a highway to get downtown after going through the agricultural grounds of North Carolina State University, which was a little bit of a terrifying experience. But Ramya, again, like it's all these things about figuring out, okay, what am I here for? How is this hotel going to serve my needs? Yeah, exactly. Okay, one, you know, 45-minute round trip from the airport or from the metro station, um, just like when you're coming into the city and getting out of it is fine, right, compared to every other thing that you're going to be taking part in while you're actually there. So the neighborhoods, like even for weekender trips, the neighborhoods that I end up wanting to explore or um, where I know that it's going to be kind of popping, right, like the for cities that I don't explore as much. So these kind of things are very um, helpful. And I think that like, even for me, when I half the time, I'm not even doing hotels anymore. I'm doing Airbnbs. It's still comparable. The kinds of notes that I take. I know, I know (laughs) nobody wants to hear this. Right. But it's still comparable. Like when, when you talk about the notes around location, you still have to think about where you're staying and why you're picking that spot and how accessible it is to transit or how walkable the area is. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. What about some of the services or perks that come with a hotel? Alex, once I've found a place that I like, I will start looking at what does your gym look like? Because even though I might be an over 300 pound, very bloated, carbohydrate filled human being, I do like to work out when I'm on vacation. In fact, I work out more when I'm on vacation because I'm well rested. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but I do I do start looking at things like what kind of gym do you have? If I'm sort of flipping a coin, right? If I've pinned down a location, but now it's time to decide, okay, where I'm going to put my dollars, I look at things like gyms. And then the other one I look at, Alex, is how many elevators do you have? Because I've been to way too many cheap hotels that have one elevator. Yeah, see, the elevator is never really a factor for me because I've been to hotels that have multiple elevators and it always seems that only one of them is working. So, so, you know, I, I don't put too much credence in it. That's interesting, though. I, I I never considered that. And for me, it, it's typically small things. Like, I'll look at, like, what the room layout is. So even if you can go on the website, you can see what what their typical room will look like. I like a room with a bit of space. I don't want to be tripping over the bed and tripping over, like, the dresser and stuff just trying yeah, to get to the bathroom. Yeah. I like I like a bit of breathing space because, you know, I, I tend to bump into a lot of different things throughout the night. The other thing, too, like, I love it when you'll see there's, like, oh, there'll be little water bottles or something complimentary like that in Mm. in a hotel room it's so small it's so basic but i i love it it's just that added touch it's like oh there's there's like complimentary waters there the other thing i i've started really looking for and scouting out and, and trying to find is shuttle services and not just shuttle services to the airport if that's you know available there there are some hotels and some i've stayed at i can't remember which one off the top of my head but they would even offer downtown yes, complimentary yes. shuttle services. So they'll take you from the hotel to some central location, or you can even kind of book, oh, I want to go out to, to this museum or something. It'll, they'll take you for free. 
Yeah, we, we had that when we went to at Denver, Colorado in uh, 2015 at the Ramada. They took us to the baseball stadium. They took us out to a rental car pickup spot. Like, it was great mm. to have a re- to have a, a shuttle service uh, as part of the hotel. Top, top tier. Uh, Ramya, Alex mentioned the in-room perks, the water bottles. The Holiday Inn refilled my water a couple times this weekend. I was delighted about that, even though I wasn't getting room service every day. The other thing they had was a coffee machine that had mm. six pods of coffee. They they weren't being chintzy with the number of coffees they were giving me, Ramya. I could drink all the coffee I wanted, six a day if I wanted. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't even matter if it's terrible hotel coffee, right? Like, at oh, least you okay, got enough easy. coffee. Yeah, poor, the poor people at Holiday Inn. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and just ruthless. But can I tell you, you mentioned the elevators. That is a make or break for me, Dave. Like, there is mm. so many elevator st- or <laughs> hotel stays that I've had where the fancier the hotel, the more difficult the elevator situation is. We've got banks and banks of elevators, and also there's this newer system, I, I'm assuming, it's newer um where you you know call your own elevator like you have the keypad you call it it goes directly to your floor oh no I, I don't like that at all it is not accessible if it is accessible please somebody send me the manual because i haven't figured out how it's accessible yet it's absolute touch screens um you're in the elevator just kind of panicking about what's going on if you don't know the system you don't know what you're signing up for also it just calls out a number it says you know elevator seven and you're supposed to go running around to try to find where elevator seven is in this like 10 bank elevator system so anyway and not all um elevators go to every floor so this is the kind of the second thing i'm I'm serious. Like I'm, I'm not just over exaggerating. Elevators have made uh, hotel stays either very stressful for me or much more mm-hmm. of a relief because I'm like, thank goodness they have the, you know, normal old elevator system <laughs> with just tactile and braille and talking. Yeah, simplicity. Okay, guys, there's less than a minute on the clock here. Let's try to go uh, fishing for some sponsors on the show. What's the bougiest hotel you've ever stayed at? Mine was the Hotel Blue in downtown Vancouver. Oh, Alex, it was so nice. Uh, I I don't know the names. I've stayed in some beautiful five-star in China. I I wish I knew the names, but they were gorgeous. Okay, well-traveled. Alex Smythe over there. Ramya, what's the bougiest Uh, hotel you've stayed at? I don't know mine either, but it's uh, in St. John, Newfoundland. You know that really bougie hotel that AMI put us at? It was nice. I I don't know, and you guys did a very terrible job of getting us sponsors on the show. (laughs) That's Alex Smythe and Ramya Amuthan. That's all the time there is for the show today. The things kick off again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to stay safe, stay fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Ah, Hotel puns. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.